Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Podcast. This is The Act Out, Season 1, Episode 8, Ryan Joseph. If this is your first time checking out the Podcast Network, please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash We Are Podcast. And with that said, on to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the act out from open mic to the big stage. Comedians tell us stories they have made. Today I am with Ryan Joseph. I've got to read off all his bona fides, if you will. Stand-up comedian and actor, described by Joe Rogan as one of the hottest up-and-coming talents in the country. He has worked with Rogan, Whitney Cummings, Tim Dillon, Jamie Kennedy, and Guy Tory. Ryan won first place in the U.S. comedy contest. He has featured on Kill Tony over 10 times, regularly tours with William Montgomery and David Lucas, and hosts the new podcast podcast you need to be listening to called the ryan joseph show ryan how are you doing today sir i'm good ducky Wenzel. how are you doing i am excellent excellent let's start from the beginning of course first of all welcome to the show secondly where are you from originally i'm originally from florida i yeah. grew up like between like miami and jacksonville and i would just be shuffled back and forth between um parents after they divorce because like either my mom wouldn't like me and send me back to my dad and my stepmom wouldn't and I just go back and forth and then finally I realized that like you can get student loans and live on your own if you go to college they actually mean it though when they say you have to pay them back I didn't know. <laughs> like I was just I thought it was just like a joke or something you know <laughs> I was gonna say what were you like as a kid then were you a little bit of a troublemaker I take it or were you just looking for a yeah I used to like dress up as like Indiana Jones and Dick Tracy and shit. yeah I was kind of troublemaker I came from a really messed up background in a way like I like I dealt with it through stuff like that you know like I was always really into music and stuff my friends and I would get together and we were like we would pretend we we're Beavis and Butthead and, and we would re- <laughs> and like record us over a radio like we would record a tape you know while the radio is playing and then we would interject our voices as views and butthead i was always playing outside i'm like the last generation that actually played outside yes, you know yes. what i mean yeah yeah so i'm still a real human i'm one of the last humans <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah i was really into movies and stuff and i'd always dress up yeah pretty much and then and then as my parents got divorced my mom was just like a mess you know with different many boyfriends and drugs and stuff like that i um became kind of like a delinquent you know i, I got arrested for shoplifting a bunch of times oh wow. and um yeah i kind of acted out you know i would mm. sneak out of my grandparents house because eventually i had to go live with them and we'd like sneak out and we'd steal from like it was in a, like a rich country club you know I had to live in and I was like the poor kid living in the country club but we'd steal from like the construction houses under construction we'd build like tree houses in the woods and stuff and then we would like we like stole the keys to the country club and we stole all the wine and the toilet paper as well as the golf carts and I and I got arrested that night at, like, <laughs> at, at, at 13 I was arrested for Grand Theft Auto because two thousand dollars worth of damages on any kind of moving vehicle is Grand Theft Auto so wow. yeah and then my wow. grandfather paid for the lawyers but every morning he would get drunk on vodka and he'd be like where's my money boy <laughs> <laughs> like, I, don't have it. I don't have it 
Yeah, that's pretty much it, you know. And then when I go down to Miami, it was weird because like when I had to go live with my dad, it was just mainly like a black Hispanic school. And I was like really blonde and it was very traumatizing. You know, you, you felt like totally like out. So then I got into like drugs and stuff. And I was like, you know, man, I'm going to be a guitarist. You know, I'm going to sing. I can't, doesn't matter if I can't sing, I'm going to sing. <laughs> you know? And like, um, you know, and I really got into like guitar and stuff because before I was in a lot of active, active stuff, like activity sports or whatever, playing around and like running around outside. And then I just got into guitar and, and smoking weed and then drugs and stuff like that. And so where'd you get the weed? I, I, I heard you say earlier, you got it from your dad. Is that right? You stole yeah. it from him? <laughs> yeah. My dad is a big pothead and I would steal from him. That's how I made friends because yeah. they were like, yeah, that's the white boy. He's got the weed. You know, I always have weed. <laughs> and, um, and then he got to a point where he was even giving it to me, dude. Like I was yeah. like, 50. my friends would be blown away. They'd be hanging out with me. My dad would walk in and he would scare them just for fun. You're like, what are you guys doing in here? You know? And then he's like, here's a, here's a sack of some Jamaican shit. You want to try out? What? Yeah. <laughs> he's just handing it out that's awesome so but you know at the same time though i didn't like it though because i was like i wanted one of their square parents that like because you know growing up like that it's yeah it looks fun from the outside and stuff but it was just like i had no structure you know i always felt like i was kind of like just floating around you know so. so you ended up going to school for quite a while didn't you after that college yeah yeah once i escaped the community college and got loans that was my main source of like income man so i would just pay off rent and then buy drugs and i would do well enough i chose english because i was always good in english writing and stuff and i was like i'll get an english degree and that kind of always made me feel like i had to i always have to have a goal you know or i don't feel good about myself if i'm not moving towards something and so I totally forgot. Oh, yeah, there was another. And when I was younger, I did acting a lot. When I was really younger, I was into acting classes and I trained as an actor for a while. But when I started smoking pot, I gave that up and I totally forgot about that. And um, and I forgot about acting and I didn't know about stand up comedy. It didn't ever cross my mind, you know. Yeah, I guess I was always funny. I was always actually I hated being funny in a way because it was like a defense mechanism. I felt like that's the only reason people liked me. I remember walking to school telling myself, don't be funny today. Don't be funny today. Because it just brought on all this attention or it was weird. I don't know why. It was just, I can't remember why I was saying that to myself. Anyways, yeah. So I just stayed in school in uh, Gainesville, Florida. I dropped out of high school like at 17, which I wish I would have done at 13. I didn't know that you could just take a test. Yeah. And, and get out. Done. Yeah. You know, no point in that. high school. Yeah. yeah. You just take a test and like, okay, yeah, no school. So then I was running wild, just smoking pod in a band and shit. But I went to community college, got my um, associate's degree, right? I was really getting into mushrooms and stuff like that at that time and, and weed and just partying and stuff like that. And eventually I got accepted into FSU. That gave me some sort of like, you know, oh, I'm worth something or whatever. And I went to FSU and my drug addiction kind of got harder, got into worse stuff. And I started living these two lives, you know, because I would go to class and I'd be studying philosophy and literature and stuff. And then at, at night doing that shit. And then my sister happened to die. My little sister, she came out and moved with me. Long story short, she got into trouble. She came out and lived with me and then she overdosed. And and then my mom died after that because she couldn't deal with it, you know? And so I was like, the hell with this. You know, I'm going to uh, going to Seattle. My friend had a room. I was like, I don't think they do drugs in Seattle. I'm going to go out there <laughs> and just like, <laughs> I just got rid of all my stuff. I was like, I'll be sober out there. There's no drugs out there. And, <laughs> and, I got, and I ended up doing what I was doing out there. And um, eventually I joined 
like a program and I got sober and I finished my master's degree. I got my master's. Yeah. That is awesome. I mean, so much debt with school. I have so much school debt. That'd be fine. Just Biden's going to wipe it away. Don't worry. That's what I'm hoping. Enjoying this episode? Go check out Geekster, a dating and friends app for geeks that focuses on common interests as a way to make meaningful connections. Download today on the App Store or click the link in the description to find out more. Geekster, this is what happens when nerds collide. Geekster, available on iOS and Android. Yeah, so a couple of things you talked about in there I want to kind of touch on. First of all, you said when you were a kid, you were acting. And so you are an actor too. So did you find that there was direction in that and that you absolutely loved that and you excelled at it? Yeah, I really loved it. I started going to like drama class and stuff like that. I would force my mom to send me to like theater camp and stuff. And then I would force my dad to take me to acting classes down in Miami. And I really loved it. But then once I started smoking pot, I got really self-conscious, you know? And it was kind of withdrew from life, you know? And I forgot about that. But when I went to Seattle, I finally moved back down to Florida and I was sober by then. And then I was like, needed to make some money because I got a job, but it was like a month out. I was like, what can I do? And it just occurred to me, like, why don't I just do like extra work? And I remembered, I was like, oh yeah, I used to do acting. <laughs> and I started doing like uh, auditioning for roles there of like non-union features, stuff like that. And I was just gathering up this big reel of content of different like characters that I was playing. The Scientologist was giving out acting lessons. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was a pretty interesting guy. And, uh, but you know, he would always say LA is where it's at. So I decided to go out to LA to be an actor. And once I got there, first I thought I made it right away because I was like, I got accepted into Judge Ross's court with Judge Ross or something, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is so easy to get anybody gets it. But I was like, I made it, you know, you know, America's court with Judge Ross. You know, I played I played a medieval knight who was <laughs> I wasn't dressed up in the garb, but I was like being accused of a guy that worked at medieval times who was being accused by his coworker of loosening his saddle and sabotaging the guy the other night. And like, because I was jealous that he was knighted for me or something like that. And, and I got into that, whatever. But then I just took acting lessons. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of giving you guys money and not getting any gigs, you know, their auditions. I got an agent really pretty quick because I had the reel. And then in Seattle, just backtrack a lot, I did try stand-up comedy. That's what yeah. we were, we're heading towards, definitely. I want to talk about Seattle's stand-up comedy, but did you have any comedy influences before you took to the stage? Like, I was always kind of a cut up. I was always funny. I would say, like, I never really watched that much stand-up, I don't think, but I, I loved, like, comedy movies and stuff mm. like that. And But I never knew how to write jokes or never looked at stand-up as even a possibility, right? Until in Seattle, I decided, I was like, why don't I try this, you know? And I started going to Seattle Comedy Underground. And then going to open mics around town and stuff. And I liked it. There was a sort of power in it, even though it sucked really bad. But then I, I had to leave because I got a job and there was no really places to perform in Orlando. Or I, I was doing a lot of acting, but it was always in the back of my head. Like the bug kind of got in me. And then in L.A., I tried to go to improv classes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I went to Groundlings. <laughs> I, went to, I went to Groundlings, right? Which was the gayest there's like hey let's get in a circle and throw this ball in a yeah, circle sound ball. <laughs> yeah and you say a syllable and i say a syllable and it rhymes with your name you know it was just so horrible and they were like we, we, guys we're all, i feel like we all know each other our whole lives we're gonna join a facebook group and we're gonna go out and get drinks afterwards and, and i was like this is gay you know i'm gonna like i was like i'm gonna start i'm gonna i'm gonna try stand-up comedy and there was a place called fourth wall comedy and the guy had um, this really cool way about doing it. It was like he started in like a semi truck, a hollowed out semi truck. Right. But you pay five bucks for five minutes 
and you couldn't leave right after you do your set and it was just like 10 comics from 11 a.m to 11 p.m every hour would be a different set of 10 comics right and it was slotted and you go and you register and you could go up every night but by then he had gone into like some rooms and it was a cool little stage and that's how i learned how to do comedy because to make comedians laugh was hard really hard like a lot of people say you know i don't like open mics because you know if it's just comedians but i always tell people they should do it because if you can make a comedian laugh a comedian who's a who doesn't want to laugh at anything. He's a sad soul. And he's thinking about his own material. He's dying for you to get off the stage so he can go up. But if you can pierce through all of that with your joke, it's so good. That means it'll crush in front of a real audience, right? It was the ultimate like acid test. It was like, that's where you can like hone in a good joke. It took me a while to find my persona and to realize what a joke was. I started listening to, um, you know, Jesselnik and I started listening. Oh, in college, I was really into Mitch Hedberg and stuff like that. And so I started listening to him more, but I was looking at more of like the structure of like, what are these jokes? Like, why are they so, why are they so funny? And started studying the misdirect of them and, you know, Stephen Wright and stuff like that and Rodney Dangerfield. And I realized that and I love just fell in love with the one liners, you know, and it worked well for me because when you're coming up, just going in between being an open micer to doing bringers and shit, like you only get a certain amount of time. And a lot of people want to go up there and just talk and talk and the whole long premises just to get to one punchline, if any. But like if you have all these one liners, just you're crushing in that five minutes, you know. So I think I stood out more as a one liner. It's a harder thing to do. But I think my background in um, writing, getting an English degree where they make you write every day nonstop, it kind of trained me to be able to to write and i try to write every day yeah and in your style is very much like you said it is a one-liner it's so well written and it's so perfect amount of words and everything i was blown away when i started watching it i was like oh my god this is hysterical but not only do you do one-liners or quick jokes you go for laughs per minute which you're killing it on those you also go places that most comedians right now wouldn't go Actually, pretty much every joke you do goes somewhere that a comedian now wouldn't go. And it's shocking because as a person, I can't stand PC culture. I know we hear people say that all the time, but I, that's what drew me to you and made me a fan. I was like, oh, my God, he's telling these hilarious jokes. And what's great is you had a trans joke. It was more or less on women. Comedians. The post-op. I dated a yes. post-op transgender woman. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I should have known something was up because she was actually funny. Now, my girlfriend yeah. is trans, so I immediately ran and told her the fucking joke because I thought it was so goddamn good, dude. But like most people are afraid to make those jokes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's so exciting to see somebody out there who's just like, no, nah, I'm just going to go for the jugular. I'm just going to go. You know, it's so weird because it's like like my jokes that like are like the stuff that deals with like black people jokes. Like I perform with David Lucas, who's African-American, and he always encourages me to say these jokes that like are really like offensive. But like the black audiences love them, right? And it's always usually just the white people in the crowd that are get all afraid. They're afraid that like if they laugh, you know, they're like, and, it, and I find that to be more racist than anything because it's like, it. yeah, it's like, oh, we have to protect them. They can't take a joke, you know? And it's just like, my whole philosophy is really, um, I can get really deep into it is like, one, we all have that shadow in us. And, and until we embrace it, we can't find any kind of joy in life. But two, we know all these things exist. Everything I joke about, and I think everything I talk about and joke about is horrible. That's why I joke about it. That's how I deal with it. You know, mm -hmm. I had a friend that was in the Marines. And I asked him how he dealt with seeing his friends being blown up to pieces in front of him. And he said they made jokes. It was jokes. And like my background where I've been through, when someone tells me a horrible thing, I always joke about it because it helps me cope with it, you know? 
And I feel like why can't people have like an hour and a half or two hours where they come into a show and just laugh at all the horrible stuff that's out there <laughs> from it. And it just conquers, it conquers it, you know, because instead of being a victim of these horrible things out there right now, as we speak, there's someone that's being incredibly violated or oppressed or whatever. And like, we know that in our, in the back of our mind, yeah, we keep living our lives, but it eats at us, I think, you know? So if like we can live, you know, there's a certain catharsis too. And I think comedy is like, it's supposed to be like that. You know, I can't stand when people say dark comedy. You know, I know I have to say that in the moniker because mm. that's usually what draws people. But, you know, in my view, it's, it's real comedy. It's like comedy. You're saying things that can't be said. You know, you look at George Carlin and you look at going all the way back, you know, look at Lenny Bruce. It's just you're saying things that can't be said. And that's what people come for because they just want someone to say them, you know. But there's an art to it because it can't just be shock humor. It can't just be like, hey, I'm going to say something that was really offensive. No, yeah, there's an art to it. It has to be funny and it has to be well-written and it has to have like an irony towards it. For instance, you know, the whole Tony Hinchcliffe debacle, right? Mm-hmm. I always respected Tony's comedy, but I think that one incident where he went on and started, um, you know, roasting the Asian dude before him, mm-hmm. he started saying these like hateful things, but if he would have said it in a really sweeter tone, if he would have gave it some contrast, it would have been more palatable to people, right. you know? Like, can you imagine Natasha, Natasha Leggero going up there and saying, give it up for the filthy, but <laughs> you know, it, it would have been funnier because, because, you know, it's just like a joke, but he came, there was no contrast with him. He, he came up there with anger saying angry, evil things. And I don't know if you can be taught that or, or not, but like the, the sense, I think sense of irony and contrast is important to humor and the other thing is you go on stage you're playing a character for the most part right you're, yeah that's not who you are it's one of those things where your character on stage is uh I, I, how do you describe it it's kind of like a dumbed down version of yourself where you're kind of playing yeah it's like a comic flaw you know you're, you're seeing a uh, sarah silverman's jesus is magic you know she would say these incredibly like racist stuff but after she said it she would just look around like she doesn't know that it's racist you know right. and like yeah. you have to be dumb because if you go up there and you say what I'm saying in an intelligent, thoughtful tone, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you have to say it like you're an idiot. So people will laugh because they can, they're like, ha look at the guy that doesn't know, you know, like I'm acting out these things, you know, and how I came up with that really was, well, one, I was at the fourth wall and one day I said, everyone used to think I was going to be the next school shooter, right? And, and everyone started laughing at me and I was like, why is that you know why they start laughing at that and i realized that's how people see me you know my appearance i suppose is like because acting classes they would make you in la stand in front of a class like a big 30 40 people and they would all look at you and tell you what they thought of you and what they see when they look at you you know and you know people look at me as like the stoner redneck racist whatever stuff like that and so i just exaggerated and make it a caricature of that like anthony jeselnik did that which like he was this like really good looking like frat boy right and everyone hated him so what did he do he exaggerated it made it more arrogant and more you know made it just like a character of that you know right. and um a lot of people don't understand the persona is key you know but then again it seems like there's some people that can go on stage and just be themselves the way they are and talk and, and that's cool like i wish i could do that sometimes but like on stage is the one place where i like am not me and i can forget who i am and my problems and i'm someone else and um Every time I go on stage, I'm like, I have to like say like a little prayer, let the darkness come over me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) 
to me, it sounds like it's an art form for you. But some people just say they're telling jokes and it's it's just is what it is. Some people look at it as an art form. For me, it sounds like you're more on that side. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, it is definitely an art. And um, as pretentious as that sounds, it is. I've always had that inclination, always written poetry and writing. And I was always into writing stories. And I, I love like the thing about art is that it just lasts forever, you know, and music. And I'm a real like, I really appreciate passion in art and music and um, writing. And with comedy, it's it's weird because it's like I never thought I'd be doing this. And a lot of people like what I do. Some people don't. The more love you get, the more hate you get. I'll tell you what. Yeah. It's a gift. You know, it's a burden. It's a burden of genius. You know what I mean? I didn't ask for this. <laughs> Did you ever get nervous at all whenever? Because, you know, the things you say are controversial. You know what I mean? So do you ever get that nervousness? Like, oh, this isn't going to land. I I can't imagine at this point you don't get that feeling. But um, Or did you ever feel that way? Yeah. I will get worried that the joke won't land sometimes, but I won't get worried that people are going to be offended. I don't get worried about that. I just want people to laugh. Ideally, I wouldn't want anyone to be offended. I would want everyone to laugh at it. You know, I've had, man, I've had everything happen. Like I've had girls crying in the bathroom. My friends would tell me after a joke I said, I've had people throw at me. I've had comics mothers yell for me to get off the stage. I've, in Brooklyn, I had, for the first time ever, a host come on and say, that's enough. Okay, that's enough. Get off the stage. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It didn't even give me the chance to, like, you know, fix what was going on because one girl started screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I've had two black dudes waiting for me outside of a, a club in Houston. And they were like, hey, man, I just want you to know, man, we were laughing at your jokes. And then my friend here realized he's offended. Because his grandma died, you know, and I was going to go up there. I said, I beat his ass for you, man, whatever he said. You know, but then we were like, you know what, man? Like, can we get your socials? You're funny, man. Can Holy. Yeah, yeah I, thought that's, I thought that's how I was going to die. Yeah. You were ready. You were just like, I'm walking yeah. into it. Yeah, oh, I was man. like, that's how I want to go outside of comedy club. <laughs> hey, everyone, it's just Doc jumping in here real quick to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you're enjoying it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash We Are Podcast. And with that, back to the podcast. What mm -hmm. what advice do you have for people who are starting out? You know, people who just got into comedy, who want to go to an open mic, don't know what to do. What would you say to do? You know, I actually built a course once during the pandemic on like, how, and it was based off a book that I read. A lot of the content is based off that. And I would just give my own content. You can find it on Udemy, U-D-E-M-E-Y.com. It's just like how to write jokes. But I also talk a lot about a lot of stuff. But like my advice would be, it's hard to give advice as someone who's had you know, Barry Katz told me I chose a really hard road, <laughs> you know, and he, he loves my call. He listens to my comedy in the dark in the basement and laughs. He's afraid <laughs> he'll, he'll get canceled, you know, but like, so it's hard for me to like give advice because I, I basically just do what you think is funny, you know? And if you think that like, don't ever change who you are and what you do for anything, for anyone. And if you think it's funny, other people will think it's funny, but also, you know, if you're going to do it, you have to do it. Like it's all about action in life. You know, I learned, I learned that in recovery is um, you can do whatever you want in this life. If you want to take the actions, the small, stupid actions that mean nothing, like 
How many times I've gone to mics and stuff when I don't want to go and like written when I didn't want to write and just just stuff like that. And it it pays off because that's what gets you where you want to go is actions. You know, I think it, the trick is to get so good that no one really will hide a good comic. I've had someone tell me that once. And it's true. Like if you're good, they'll find you. They'll come to you. Just worry about being really funny and like write, 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 write. Learn how to write jokes, you know, like it's such a lost art form. A lot of comics don't write anymore. You know, they think they'll just they think I used to think, too, I just go on stage and talk and be funny, but it doesn't work. There's a formula. There's, you know, there's a setup, there's a premise, there's a punch. Before you get into these long stories, you have to figure out which which I'm starting to explore longer bits using my one liners. You have to learn to punch things up. Right. So there has to be punches throughout it, you know. And you have to, to learn that, like the, the beauty of the joke. What is the beauty of the joke? What is a misdirect? You know, what is one sentence that means two different things, except when you get to the last one or two words that reveals what you really mean. And that's the hardest thing to come up with. And it's exhausting. And um, yeah, it's hard to say, you know, try to be as beautiful as I am. It's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. That That's what I would say, I guess. It's just like, right. And um, find how, how people look at you. Don't try to be someone that like, you think everyone wants to go up there and be a comic they they like, you know, when really they don't even look like that person or they don't even come across a person. Try to, try to understand how do people perceive you, right? Have that self-awareness and then blow it up. You know, make it a caricature, make fun of it. You know, I guess that's what I would say. Uh, that's awesome. You're, you're you're really speaking to me right now because I recently went through a kind of a downtime in comedy because I did an abortion joke and it went very badly to the <laughs> point where uh, the, like the staff was about it. And that's, that's great. Yeah. And I'm just like, man. And then my my friend, he's like, man, you probably shouldn't have done that joke. And I was like, no, that i was like it's a funny joke i don't care what anyone says it's a yeah. good joke and you know it's just but it did i'm sensitive and a lot of comics are sensitive so yeah. i took it to heart and i was just like well these people don't like me so i've got the punk rock mentality of who cares and yeah. then i've got the other side where it's like oh well i don't want to hurt anyone's feelings you know right. I, I i read something today or watched something today where you said about people walking out of a show like as great as it goes over with the audience when that happens you said it makes you feel bad yeah it does i don't want anyone to have a bad time especially if they're paying for their ticket or anything because your abortion joke maybe the goal i don't know like how did everyone not like it or did just a few oh it bombed like beautifully <laughs> <laughs> you know one yeah. of those bombs where you're like well that probably deserved that that's how it okay went. okay so like in that instance like i wouldn't say change your content and so you change the joke but find a way to make something that shouldn't be funny funny you know like that's how that's the goal is to like I've had like feminists come up to me with short haircuts and just be like, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to laugh at that, but I did, you know, yeah. that's the goal is so you have to make it funny for them, you know, or, or else you'll, you'll just be doing shock stuff, you know? Yeah. That's the trick. That's the beauty of, that's the art really is finding a way to say something that, that people don't want to laugh at and they laugh at anyways, you know, and when they're walking home and they're going to class tomorrow, to, to their women's studies, knowing that they just laughed out, laughed about <laughs> jokes. Last night, a joke about a woman getting, you know, her feet sucked by a man invading their house. <laughs> Have that haunting them, you know? Yeah. And like, that's what I laughed at, you know, last night. The other thing about you is you stay busy. It seems like you are, you have a direction you're going. Not only are you doing comedy, you've got weekly shows, sick 
is a weekly show. You still have that one going on weekly, or have you taken that kind of one towards that kind of the idea? It's not weekly. It's um, I just got I just took it up to New York City, and it went really well. I sold out the New York Comedy Club. That club is amazing, dude. And yeah, tickets were fine for that. I take it to different places around Houston and stuff. It's not weekly. It used to be weekly in Austin, but you know, I think just the nature of the the show, people didn't like it. You know, <laughs> or usually it's not the, the audience. It's so weird. It's just like this discrepancy between like the business side and the, what the audience is like. You know, like managers, owners of a club, they get all butthurt over stuff that their audience wants to see. You know, like their points of view gets in the way of what the audience wants to see because it was like yeah i would sell out a lot of shows or sell a lot of tickets and it didn't matter to them because it, it went against their principles you know which i can respect i guess and so i haven't really found it a home for it in texas where i can do a weekly show i'd like to maybe addison maybe i do it i would do it once well, a week in addison i would love that I, uh the podcast is awesome dude i think that on top of your comedy is going to be a breakthrough in a big, bad way. You're already getting huge numbers and views and comments, interactions. What is it like to be on the podcast circuit and, and kind of be out there and doing that now? I haven't done it in a month. I haven't put up a new episode in a month and it eats at me every day because it costs money to, to produce it. It's a really high production show and I have sponsors for it and everything. And I basically took off a month because I was going to New York City and I've been really grinding with comedy, trying to prepare i did new york's funniest stand-up contest and i wanted to prepare for that even though i lost it to a norwegian guy <sighs> build a wall <laughs> build a wall get them norwegians out of here we don't need them <laughs> yeah that's that's what i say i'm totally i'm totally racist against norwegians <laughs> it's fine they're white you're allowed to be racist against them but you you're kind of doing a lot of different things right now and I, like i said i can just see it getting bigger and bigger and bigger you know there was a comment on one of your videos i watched today that said this show is on the edge of blowing up and nobody knows it and i yeah. have to agree because when we're done talking i'm going to go back to watching one of your podcasts because it's oh, so man. entertaining you're such a great interview and at the same time you keep coming in with hilarious side notes on everything you tag up everything people talk about it's just so much fun to watch so i highly suggest everyone go check it out uh, is there anything else you want to talk about just uh i hope everyone i hope the show addison goes really well i always do really well up in that part of the state i love texas and especially up the dallas fort worth area yeah just, i hope everyone comes to the show and um i will be putting up more podcast episodes very shortly socials we gotta say it real quick ryan joseph comedy on facebook the only ryan joseph on instagram ryan joseph comic on twitter and ryan joseph comic on tiktok go subscribe follow do whatever you have to do with socials the show is going to be amazing the show is going to be december 8th at 7 30 they're calling yeah. it 30 at 7 30 i got jj lieberman who's the opener feature for ryan long he'll come up and do a later set probably come right before me when i go on stage he's a hilarious guy he's like a, a gay a gay new yorker kind of like tim dylan it doesn't yeah. seem like he should, should be gay. It's like, yeah, I like, su I like sucking now. You know? And then um, and then I got Christina Mariani. She's hilarious. And Leonardo Joni, um, another hilarious chick. And Francisco Ricon, who's mm -hmm. like, he's one of my favorite comics. This guy, he has like a whole bit about how he, and he was starving in Venezuela and he had to get his sister pregnant so they could have <laughs> milk, milk for the... <laughs> Look for the family, you know. <laughs> this show sounds like it's so up my alley. It's ridiculous. I cannot yeah. wait for it. I'm totally going to be there. Well, 
Well, yeah. thank you so much, Ryan, for being here with me and talking today. I really yeah, man, it was great meeting you. Nice meeting you too. I will be at the show on the 8th to check you out. So everyone else, get your tickets now. Link in the description. Dude, thank you very much again. I appreciate it. Later, man. And there it is. Thank you again so much for checking out the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other podcasts here on the We Are Podcast Network. We have We Are Bagoo, a video game podcast where we talk Atari to Steam and everything between. That's me and Dr. Ethan Eastwood breaking down all that video game lore and having such a good time. Heroes, Jiro's A Dungeons and Distractions side quest. Me and the boys were playing some D&D. You can start that one from Season 1, Episode 1. It's a blast the whole way through. And I hate being sober. Personal stories from epic people. I sit down with some of my favorite people of all time. We talk about their trials, their tribulations, and their journey this far. And finally, our new live video podcast, Camp Slash Horrorcast, where we're going to have a roundtable discussion about our favorite horror movies. That'll be available on Twitch and YouTube, streaming every Monday at 8 p.m. Check the links in the description to find out what movies we'll be watching. Also, check the links in the description for our social media. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash we are podcast network. With that said, thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. Please remember to support local comedy in any way that you can. We'll see you next time.